I'm a sucker for a remix. And I actually mean that musically. Uh, like one of my favorites is Bass Nectar's remix of Ellie Goulding's song Lights. Or there's a band called Mute Math that I'm crazy about, but then an artist came along named Dizero and remixed their song Monuments. Or this is not so much a remix as it is a cover, but a band called Griffin, or an artist, uh, redid Boney Vera's Heavenly Father recently, and it has been in heavy rotation on my playlist. And I think what I like about a remix is there's, there's something audacious and, and brave and compelling about taking a thing, like a well-produced, well-written song, and, and thinking that you could take the, it apart, like the, the pieces apart, you could leave some of those pieces behind, you could add new pieces, and you could come up with a whole new arrangement of the same original song, and that it would be worthwhile to do that, that you could create something new out of some of these old pieces, and also being brave enough to leave some of it behind and put something new there. And I share all of that with you, um, not just because I love a good remix, uh, but because when you can feel the, the bravery and the audacity and the creative energy of a remix, it reminds me of the opportunity that we have right now in life. And what I mean by that is that coming out of COVID, coming out of pandemic life, we're going through a bit of a remix. And a lot of us before COVID, perhaps we liked the way that our lives held together. Maybe it was a pretty good package, but whether we wanted it or not, the pandemic came and it sort of broke all that apart. And now we're in a season where we get to put things back together and build our lives again and build community again and have new dreams for the future right now. And I think remix is a good word for it because some of us are gonna find ourselves leaving some things behind that were perhaps taken away during pandemic life. And we have a chance to ask if they're really gonna serve us in this next season. And we have a chance to add some new ingredients and to come up with a new iteration or arrangement on our lives. But I also tell you all of that because there's an elephant in the room that I, I wanna talk about this week. And it has to do with one of the questions in the remix for us, which is just to be real about it. A lot of us are asking, what about church? in the new life, in life after COVID, in this new arrangement. After months and months of not having Sunday mornings, or in our case, Thursday nights together, and maybe finding that Sunday mornings can be really good for some other things, a lot of people are asking, what about church? And I just thought we should talk about it this week for a bit. Now, before we go any further into this, let me just make really clear that I'm, I'm not doing this to guilt or to shame anyone. We're doing this because as a church, we've wanted to be the kind of place that talks openly and honestly about the things that we are actually thinking, rather than pretending that they're not happening. And this is something that's happening, so let's talk about it. Now, if, if you're a little unsure of whether the actual gathering together of a people in a place that call themselves a church, that actual gathering together, if you're not sure where that's gonna fit in your life anymore, like I get it because there's probably some really good reasons to reevaluate whether you would want like actual church, like showing up on a Sunday morning to be a part of your life. I mean, frankly, there's been a really bad record in the headlines of powerful pastors and big churches being exposed over and over and over again for a total hypocrisy and a corruption between what they present and who they are and how they've lived. And if you've been reading those headlines like, like I have, you, you're probably feeling a little more conflicted than ever about this thing where we get together and call ourselves church, right? Um, maybe you've had like really painful experiences in your past of religious leaders. And, and maybe before COVID, in spite of those things, you were trying to, to keep showing up and face some of those fears and, and work through them, but, but they're still with you. Uh, a while ago, 
uh, not too long ago, I went out after one of our Thursday night gatherings with my friends Jeff and Creek, who are part of our community. And it was Jeff's birthday, and so we went to Hammer and Quill, which those of you who are local will know that bar in the East Bank. And so I, I go out there to meet Jeff and, and Creek, and they got there just a little bit before me. And what I didn't realize is that before I had gotten there, a scene had evolved where there was a, a woman who was there at the bar who was like a few drinks in and she was feeling really, really good about herself. Her, herself. And I don't know if you know Jeff and Creek, but there's some good looking dudes. And so she was uh, really putting herself out there and just sort of inserting her presence into the table where Jeff and Creek were that I was about to join. And if you know me at all, you might know this is really uncomfortable for me. Like I didn't go to the bar to get hit on. I went to the bar to celebrate Jeff's birthday and catch up with a couple of friends. And she's just really asserting herself in the situation. And at one point she like comes and sits down between me and Jeff at our side of the table in a spot where there's not really room for another human being to put themselves. And so like I have to kind of like squeeze my legs over and it's just very intimate and very awkward. And the thing is Jeff is enjoying all this because Jeff's engaged and Jeff told her that. So she like left him alone at that point. So he just gets to like laugh at the discomfort that Creek and I are feeling as we try to navigate this situation. But at some point, Jeff decides to have mercy on me, which leaves Creek to fend for himself. But Jeff decides that he's gonna help me be liberated from this awkward situation. And what's Jeff gonna do? What, what's the one thing Jeff could tell this woman to get her to immediately not wanna pursue me, but instead run away from me? But you probably guess it, right? Jeff, Jeff is gonna tell her that I'm a pastor. First, he, he said to this woman, he goes, hey, you know what he does? And she said, what? And Jeff says, He's a man of the cloth. But she didn't know what that meant, which is an old phrase for pastor. So then he just said, he's a pastor. And he couldn't even get the phrase out of his mouth before she like registered what he was saying. And she jumped up and she said, ew, and ran around to the other side. And that might hurt my feelings a little bit, but the thing is I actually get it. I mean, I don't know her story. I don't know the specifics of her experiences, but it's not hard to imagine that she might've had some experiences that made what I do feel unsafe for her, uh, for her to kind of want to run away. There's a, a Christian leader, uh, a woman, a writer who's been a pastor, somebody I really admire and respect, who has a large following. And not too long ago, she posted on Instagram a post for those who, for, who feel complicated in their relationship with church right now. And she wrote a really long and honest post about how she's in a season where her love for Jesus is being expressed outside of, of church spaces. And for her, church now is Sunday morning watching uh, CBS Sunday morning rather than showing up in a church space. And the post was a real uh, voice of solidarity for others who have realized that showing up to actual church with actual people doesn't feel like the thing that they want right now. And it was, it was solidarity and it was permission. And uh, this is a person whose Instagram posts might get between five and 10,000 likes. And this post got something like 50,000 likes. And by the way, I saw some of our people commenting on it like, yes. And the thing is, I get it. Like, I'm not um, upset about what she said. And I'm not upset about people resonating with it. I'm really grateful that she spoke authentically and that other people resonated with it and were able to feel safe inside what she was saying. And I, I get it. See, the thing is, a lot of people think that like lay people, like non-pastors, are the only people who have a conflicted relationship with church. But what you may not know it's all of us who do the kind of work that I do or others on our team do, we also can have a pretty conflicted relationship with church. Like this isn't just people who show up and attend, it's also the people who are the most invested in this work. Um, especially during the pandemic, the last year and a half has been brutal 
on people who work and lead in churches. I was doing the math in my head the other day and I was thinking anecdotally about friends that I have around the country and around the world who are pastors. And these are people I stay in close touch with and we check in with each other. And I, I was thinking to myself, I think that in the past uh, year and a half, something like 30% of them have actually quit. Like they're done. They, they, just, they just can't take it anymore. And that um, breaking point has been the confluence of several things. It has been the pandemic. It's also been the uphill battle of trying to help people be more invested in Christ than they are in cable news. It's been um, the, the rampant partisanship that has overtaken broad swaths of the church. Uh, we could go on and on. It's, it's been the hits that have been taken um, over and over again for a while now. So like 30% that I know are actually out. And virtually everyone else I know has thought really seriously in the last year or so about maybe, maybe this season for me is done. Maybe I'm going to quit. Um, now, by the way, just to be clear, I actually sincerely think I've got it about as good as anyone I know. That, like I and the rest of our team, I think we feel a really profound sense that South and City Church is, a, um, is uncommon in its kindness toward her leaders and pastors. And um, I feel really energized and grateful to be a part of this thing. So I, I didn't want to lead you down a strange path there. But I do want you to know that like we're in this together when it comes to having a complicated relationship with church, like actually showing up together to follow Jesus and to meet God. And um, and we should talk about it. Now, maybe you want to defend it. Maybe you want to say, hey, no, there's lots of good reasons, right? Well, let's talk about some of the ways that I hear people defending church. Like, like I'll hear somebody say something like, Oh man, like, but, but is there anywhere else where people give of themselves for the needs in the world, right? Like we show up and we serve on behalf of our neighbors and we address issues of justice. And that's just so beautiful. And I'd say like, it is. And there's lots of places where people are showing up on behalf of urgent needs and in the name of justice that aren't church. I mean, I think church ought to be doing those things. And I see churches doing those things, but you don't need church to show up for urgent social causes. That can happen in lots of other spaces, right? Uh, maybe you'd say like, man, but where else are you gonna go to get insightful teaching about life in the world today? Like really thoughtful teaching. And I would say that's really kind, but have you heard of TED Talks? Like it's, this is a brutal season to be a, like a stage communicator because TED Talks have really raised the bar. And there is like an endless stream of brilliant talks online that you can find about virtually any question that you might have about your life in the modern world, right? Uh, maybe you think about like, oh, great music and, and beauty, expressions of art. And I would say there's lots of places outside churches where those things are happening. Maybe you would think about like belonging, like where else do I show up and just know that I belong? And again, I would say, look, the church had better be a place where that happens. And I think it often is a place where that happens. But there are lots of other places where people experience deep belonging. <laughs> and maybe you'd say, no, I want explicitly theological content. Not a lot of actual sermons happening at TED, right? Um, depending on how you define a sermon, but but like I want explicitly theological content about the way of Jesus, about scripture, about about following Jesus in the modern world. And I would say, I love that, I get that. But there too, especially in the past uh, season with, with the pandemic, um, lots of places have gotten better and better at creating really compelling, rich, well-founded, well-thought content and putting it online to help you think theologically and to grow 
in that sort of mental journey, right? So like those are, those are good defenses um, on the surface, but I'm not sure they, they really hold up for the thing I'm actually talking about, which is actually showing up and being together and calling ourselves church as we follow Jesus in flesh and blood, right? Now we're doing Psalms and practices. And there is this thing in the Psalms, and this actually brings us full circle from the beginning of the series to now, as we wrap it up this week and next. Uh, it's an observation that we made at the beginning. I'll make it one more time. That when you read the book of Psalms, when you, when you read this ancient text of prayers and songs, there, there are some obvious threads woven in, some assumptions that are made about where and how this life with God is experienced. Uh, just hear these few samples and see if you notice it. So from Psalm 7, Awake, my God, decree justice. This, this writer sees something wrong in the world and is calling out that, that God would do something about it. And then the writer says, Let the assembled peoples gather around you. Or Psalm 22, From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Or Psalm 40, the writer says, I will proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. And I'm going to pull a quote from the first week of the series and use it all over again. Nahum Sarna is a Jewish commentator on these texts, and he says it just really clearly. He says, the Psalms presuppose the presence of a congregation. These prayers and songs, this um, exposure of the soul that we see in the Psalms, it presupposes the presence of a congregation. And congregation is a special word. And it's, it's going to help us find our way to another special word that I want to use for why I think us actually coming together and calling ourselves church and following Jesus. Why I actually think it matters and a reason that transcends all the other reasons that we've talked about. But let me, to get there, uh, turn to another place in the Bible. This is a letter called 2 Corinthians where uh, a writer named Paul is writing to a small cluster of people in the city of Corinth who have actually been showing up with one another and calling themselves church and following Jesus. This was in the lectionary a couple of weeks ago, and it just seems so fitting for the moment that we are living in right now. So this is a long reading, but just see if this rings a bell in you when you think about where we've been and where we are. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, Since God has so generously let us in on what he is doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We refuse, this line's kind of unfortunate, just go with it. We refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes, and we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, so that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ, the master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. It started when God said, light up the darkness and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. Now, if you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. As it is, there's not much chance of that. You know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. 
Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. While we're going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. We're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Just like the psalmist who wrote, I believed it, so I said it. We say what we believe, and what we believe is that the one who raised up the master Jesus will just as certainly raise us up with you alive. Every detail works to your advantage and to God's glory. More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things that we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. Now, when the text talks about how there's far more here than meets the eye, and there are things that we can't see now that will last forever, when the text points toward God and the experience of God in Christ, often the New Testament uses a, a word, and the word is mystery. I think that's a really um, beautiful and, and humble way of saying that we are attempting to name this thing that is somewhat unnameable. We are trying to wrap our arms around something that's way too big for us to wrap our arms around, but we won't stop pursuing it because it has met us and it's done something in us and we want to keep paying attention to it. So the text uses the word mystery in English often. Uh, in the Greek, the word is mysterion. And there's an interesting thing that happened early in the life of the church where... Uh, Voices in the church were, were taking this word mysterion in the Greek, and they were looking for a way to like bring it forward into the Latin, which was becoming the mother tongue of the Roman Empire. And in a long story made very short, uh, a move ma was made to go from mysterion in the Greek to a word in Latin, which is sacramentum. And the interesting thing about sacramentum is the, the word sacramentum uh, comes from when a soldier would be making their oath, uh, like a Roman soldier, to, be, to become a soldier. And so uh, a sacramentum is a sacred or a solemn oath. And, and that's the way that they carried forward the word mysterion from the Greek. And a few writers have observed that it suggests that when we use the word sacrament, what we are talking about is that a promise has been made to us that the mystery will meet us. And that's a really long way of getting at um, the reason I think we ought to keep showing up and I think what's at stake in our being together is not just that hopefully we care for important and urgent needs, although we should, and we do, and not just that we hope for great teaching from Scripture in the way of Jesus, and not just that we hope for great art and beauty, but beyond all those things, expanding beyond those things, woven into all those things, but larger than those things, is the idea that I think church is a sacrament. Not, not just that we serve sacraments, not just that we participate in sacraments. I think we, when we are together, are a sacrament. When we get here on Thursday nights and Sunday mornings for gatherings and we sit in the circle and we sing or we carve out some silence for meditation or we look at the scriptures or we hear teaching, uh, that when we open the floor and listen to one another, when we, when we look one another in the eye, that, that there is a mystery in our midst that we have gathered to pay attention to. And I think the mystery has promised to meet us in, in becoming the church. Now, it doesn't always meet us in the ways that we hope. It always doesn't always meet us on our schedule.
But I believe the mystery has promised to meet us in this thing that we call the church. And one of the reasons I believe that is it has happened over and over and over again. And you know those Sundays or those Thursday nights where like something happened and you don't even have words for it. You're not even sure quite what to say. You just know something happened in our midst. And that something happening is the reason that I know for me, I'll say, I want to keep showing up for this. I want to keep giving myself to this because I am on the hunt for the mystery. And by the way, a sacrament doesn't have a monopoly on the mystery. The point of a sacrament isn't to say that God promises to meet us here and only here. I mean, God is the God who fills everything everywhere with God's presence. This is the Christ mystery that we read about in the New Testament. It's not to suggest that the mystery is only here, but it's to suggest that it helps to have um, intentional times and places and moments when we are on the hunt for the mystery. And in God's grace, God meets us as that mystery when we gather. Now, um, uh, next week, we're going to actually turn our attention to a sacrament, which is the Eucharist. And um, from the beginning of the life of the church, one of the things that, that we have done, followers of Jesus, has been to serve this meal with the bread and the cup, uh, communion of the Lord's Supper. And there too, like I don't, I don't know a, a better way to say what we believe about this thing, which is that somehow through some ordinary elements like bread and, in our case, grape juice, <laughs> that through ordinary elements, we are actually looking for God to meet us in that meal. That through eating and, and drinking, that something in us deeper than our bellies is sustained. That through welcoming our neighbors and even our enemies to the very same table, that something is being put back together in the world that transcends factions and good ideas and good songs and like, like something bigger and more transcendent is happening there. And so we're going to be on the hunt for that as we come to the table for the Eucharist in our next gatherings. I also wanted you to know, by the way, that as we come out of pandemic life and into our full life together again, we're targeting August 5th and 8th, that's Thursday and Sunday in August, for our sort of full unrestricted phase three life back together. That means like full kids rooms operating for all ages that we serve in kids ministry. That means uh, just like everything kind of fully wide open, coffee before the 9 a.m. Um, so, so we're targeting August 5th and 8th. However, uh, it takes a lot of people jumping in to make that happen. So for example, like our kids teams right now, uh, we're operating at the most capacity we can offer with the current number of volunteers that we have, which is just those very young ages that we're covering. So if you want to see us like able to extend kids ministry back up to the full age range, and you want to be a part of serving these kids and young families, uh, you could join the kids team between now and August. Uh, you can go online to southpincitychurch.com slash volunteer, and you'll see a way that you can let us know about that. And here's the thing, even if you're not ready to serve during the summer because maybe you're traveling a lot or you're still waiting for us to get a little bit further out of COVID life, let us know right now that you'd like to serve. And then we'll work with you between now and August to get you up to speed so that when it's time for us to open things up further, we'll have you ready to go so that you can jump in and be a part of things. So that's August 5th through 8th. And in the next few weeks, you're going to hear about other ways that you, you could jump in and be a part of our life together beyond attending. Uh, things like hospitality and the band and singers and technology and um, all these ways that we are trying to actually show up for one another and create a space where we can pay attention to the mystery. Now, one more note about this uh, sermon. I did a thing this sermon that I, I don't know if I've ever done, um, which is I actually got a lot of this from a friend of mine who's a preacher and from a sermon that he preached the week prior. Uh, here's the story. I thought I knew where we were going to go in this last cycle of Solomon practice. 
I had, had a, a direction in mind and I was working in the Psalms to work out that direction. And sometimes what happens is you think the text goes a certain direction and then you get into the text and you find out you were wrong. And then you have a temptation to just try to force it. But that's not what we're here to do. We're trying to go wherever it actually takes us rather than just impose ourselves upon it. And so the direction I thought we were gonna go, it just wasn't working. And I, I was just kind of like stuck and I was really getting sort of uh, frustrated. Uh, preaching for me is also a sacrament. Preaching for me is a place where I wanna pay attention to the mystery, where I have found again and again that the mystery meets me um, in spite of myself. Just, it's a grace that I experience um, when I prepare to preach and then when I preach. And yet in this instance, it didn't feel like it was happening at all. And I was really frustrated and, con and concerned about that. And at the same time, a thing happened on some text messages. So what you should know about me is I actually have two churches I'm a part of, sort of. So Southland City Church is, is my church. It's the church that I worship with and pray with and walk with. But I also have this uh, circle of pastors, like the same circle I was telling you about earlier, these brothers and sisters of mine from around the country and around the world. And I experience uh, something like church with them too. We show up for each other and we are learning how to follow Jesus together in the midst of these peculiar vocations that we have as pastors. And that this, this week leading up to this teaching, uh, church happened for me in that space too, where um, I, I wasn't finding what we needed. And it felt like it just wasn't coming through for us. And then at the same time, one of these pastor friends was texting some of us about uh, what he was working through for his teaching. And he was asking all the questions that I started this teaching with, because I actually like, a lot of how I framed those questions came from him. And he used 2 Corinthians 4, and I listened to his teaching and just realized, like it felt, I felt it in my bones and my heart first before I got to my brain, which was, these are the questions we need to be talking about this week. And this is some of what we need to be pointing to this week. And then I thought to myself like, well, there it goes again. Like if that's my other congregation, these pastors from around the country and around the world, and if that's a place where I expect the mystery to meet us, well, it did when um, just a few hours before our Thursday night gathering, when I didn't have a sermon, <laughs> I was actually listening to my friend Justin's teaching from that week. And again, where, where I got a lot of this, and I was, I was working out, I was actually on the rowing machine at the gym. And I had to stop and just sit with his teaching that I had heard and realize that I had been given a lot of what I think we needed for this week. And I, I thought to myself, how fitting in fact that the way that I came to this teaching would be an example of the thing that I'm trying to say, which is that there's a mystery at work in our midst and we're here to show up for it. And we don't always understand it and we might even have different beliefs about it, but I think a lot of us wanna keep showing up to pay attention to that mystery and to see this thing that we become when we are together as a sacrament. So friends, uh, as you work out the remix, may you revel in the creative possibilities of this season. May you be brave about the things that you could leave behind and brave about the new things that you could add. May you be hopeful for these new possibilities. At the same time, may we be on the hunt for the mystery in all of our lives and every inch and every nook and cranny and every dark corner. But may we also look forward and expect with joy that the mystery will meet us when we come together as the church. May we look forward to the sacrament of communion next week the Eucharist meal where we say thank you to the giver of our lives and we say thank you together with neighbors and enemies at the same common table and may grace and peace be with you.